Julian, the dude that is like 6'3", blonde, has Mjolnir as a hammer, uh, absolute stud and kills monsters. What, you know, who am I thinking of right now? I'm, I'm, it's slipping my mind. It's on the top of my head. He's got a brother. I think his name is Loki, but I need to learn more. Who is it? We're talking about Thor, guys. So hop into this off the top episode where we talk about Vikings and a little bit of their gods as well, which includes our boy Thor. Or if you guys want a little quick tip, Thursday and Thor's Day kind of sounds similar, doesn't it? How are you doing, Julian? I'm doing pretty good. And now I'm strictly on a call Thursday's Thor's Day. That coupled with a little bit of Viking knowledge, I'll be set in my ways and set with stories from here on out. Exactly. So before we hop in, I want to kind of address where everybody most likely is at with their Viking knowledge. I mean, there are shows about Vikings. There's obviously they're pretty popular as far as like the the pub- public image of like, oh, Vikings were these studs who walked around with battle axes, talked about Valhalla and things of that nature. But what was your understanding of Vikings before studying this for this podcast? It's truly surprising to the way Viking stories have been passed down into what they are in an entertainment today. So I was expecting someone super vile, super vulgar, monstrous, raiding, pillaging, killing everything around. But the more and more that I looked into Vikings, the more and more stereotypes I saw and saw what I see mostly today wasn't exactly true to how Vikings really were. Exactly. That's the same way that my accumulation of knowledge went as well. There's a lot of ignorance on my part of thinking that these people were something that they were not. And then the more I learned, the more that I realized that these people were absolutely, totally, almost kind of like polar opposites of what I first imagined them being. So the Viking area of kind of what we know as the place of their home is Scandinavia. And so the Vikings didn't just hold one country for themselves. They hold like a bunch of them in modern day. So we're thinking about Norway. We're talking about Denmark, Sweden. They were also in Greenland, Iceland, they touched North America, and they also kind of worked their way into France. So these people were just kind of like culturally like very, very great travelers and seamen. Great, great point there. And, uh, you know, what they did and their traveling patterns and the trades they made really shaped the evolution of um, certain parts of the world and how we'd evolved overall as a culture. But, you know, when you hear the term Viking, I always wondered, you know, what did Viking mean or where did it come from? And I found that Viking comes from the feminine word Vic, meaning creek, inlet, or small bay, which made a lot of sense as it ties back into that water and sea aspect of when they were traveling throughout the world. Exactly. And to touch on that Vic part, as far as being a feminine word, I think that probably has to do with the way that Viking people held their appearance and looked after kind of how they look, I mean, to be fair. So what they would do is, I mean, first off, Vikings were known back in the day, which we, uh, faux pas on my part, they were around around 750 to 1100 CE, common era. And so what they were known for was their cleanliness and that a lot of them, I mean, you think of Vikings as having blonde hair. They usually dyed their hair blonde with a specific soap that they used so they they could get that specific look. There it is. There's the first thing that I ran across too was 
that Vikings now are seen as very dirty and kind of, so to speak, beat. But they were known very well for their hygiene, which I would have never put two and two together to think about these people raiding and pillaging and traveling to be super clean. Or like Jordan said, I wouldn't think of them in that time frame, you know, the 8th to 11th century to be dyeing their hair. Absolutely. It's kind of weird, the things that you kind of imagine, but then the things that were actually happening. And another thing that I want to mention to you guys, too, is that around the time that all this stuff was happening, the Vikings weren't being written about. The Vikings weren't being written about until like around the 13th century. And the people that were writing about them obviously weren't the Vikings. Or I mean, it might not be obvious, but the majority of the people writing about them were the people that the Vikings kind of looted and raided and traded with back in the day, which a lot of them were Christians, the Vikings being pagans themselves. So we kind of have to play or add the factor of some of the people that were writing the history might have wanted the Vikings to look worse than they really were. And over that time, even the what the Vikings did right was lost. This pay, like uh, the Catholic Church rolled into later towards the end of the Viking era, but a lot of the stuff they wrote was essentially lost or forgotten about, except for the few things they did write on were rune stones. And, you know, they wrote in runor, which is basically a writing style based up on sound values. I mean, these sound values coming from the old Norse language that they speak. So sometimes when you'll see, you'll see photos of these rune stones and what they wrote on, they're kind of these elaborate patterns and designs, and they're very intricate. And it also kind of plays into where we get that little bit of story about how they were kind of setting up their farms as well. Exactly. And just so I I wanted to mention this, too, which I found just super, super interesting. So the Norse language is so preserved that if you were to go to Iceland and just point out a random kid on the street and hand them some of these like basically hieroglyphs of back in the Viking days, they would be able to read that writing themselves. And it's not like, you know, us trying to read Shakespeare where it's very antiquated and there's a lot of things that kind of have changed over the years. They'd be able to read it as if they were reading something like in the modern day, which I find just amazing. And to jump on to like kind of what you mentioned after that fact, which was the farming. So that's kind of how that these Viking people coalesced into a group. They first started with like being agriculturalists. So they would grow crops for like, you know, food and also animals. And eventually they kind of had to out expand being in Scandinavia. Exactly. And even in this community, when the men were around and they were doing you know, the fishing and exploring and doing all of the trades, they're obviously on the top of the totem pole. But what I found most interesting when learning about kind of their community and their internal ecosystem was that when the men were gone, the women did all of that in their absence. And, you know, rarely, rarely do you see the credit for that in, you know, entertainment today of what Vikings are, the stories you hear. But the women had to do all of this while the men were out raiding and finding these new lands and traveling elsewhere. And so in that respect, it became shameful for a man to harm a woman, which I was very surprised to see that that kind of cultural rule 
was in place in the Viking time frame. And here's another thing where you just think like, this is definitely not what I thought about before I kind of was my first impressions of Vikings. And there's also DNA proof that sometimes when the men were traveling, they would also bring their wives with them. As in kind of like the way that the Viking culture viewed their women was very much as equals to like their men counterparts. So it's just kind of paints like a very, very interesting picture of just this kind of like cooperation of these very, very able-bodied people who started as farmers, kind of outgrew their land, and then commenced to traveling to other places to kind of sustain their population in themselves. And that's how they kind of started with raiding. I think that's a valiant point Jordan talks about is that they essentially outgrew their land. And, you know, with the population pressures and the rising of their population forced them to kind of run out of farmland because it was kind of passed down in a hierarchy to their oldest son. And, you know, as people live longer and more people are born, there's less and less land. And so in this fact, they're kind of forced and pressured to go out and seek ways to make trades better due to these trade imbalances. And, you know, they end up raiding monasteries or churches um, as their kind of popular raiding ground to begin. Exactly. And for those of you who kind of jumped to the conclusion that they did this out of religious conflict, that was farthest from the truth. It just happened to be something that was kind of convenient in, in the fact of monasteries were usually underguarded and had all the good stuff. It wasn't a fact of like, ooh, let's, let's, uh, let's piss these people off. It was a fact of, oh, that's where all the good stuff is? For sure, let me hop on. And one thing to note about the male Vikings is that they were always armored too. So they always had swords, axes, spears, kind of leather tunics as you've seen. And that's one thing that's remained true in what we see of Vikings today is that they were always armored. So they were always in the position to raid these monasteries or be in a more powerful place. But one thing that I learned that wasn't true is that they never wore the horned helmets you see them commonly associated with. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing that I picked up as well that I found just kind of like, well, I need to learn a lot more about a lot of stuff because if I automatically assume that these people were wearing horns, then I have a lot of ground to make up. And uh, one more thing about that, too, is if you think about kind of why, you know, why would we imagine they would have horns in the first place? It kind of like baffles me and mystifies me, because if you think about it, Scandinavia, the place where they're from, is not a very hospitable place for, you know, having animals out and about for the majority of the year. There was a point in the Vikings history where they kind of went, lived in an ice age, especially up in Scandinavia. So. Nine months out of the year, it would be winter time. So you couldn't let cattle graze. You couldn't let any of these like herding animals graze around and you'd have to keep them inside. So it's like, why, why all of a sudden would they be wearing horns on their helmets if they didn't have that much cattle in the first place? Once they, Jordan kind of touched on and these different parts and having different um, pressures of food and land happening out and they're expanding is that's kind of another of the, the things that shaped Vikings was this kind of lure to adventure. So they rode and what you've seen is, you know, these long ships kind of graceful, super narrow and light with like a shallow draft hole essentially. 
And this kind of lured them to a lot of different adventures. And this is where, you know, we start learning about how they found and traveled to these other areas outside of their home country. What Julian said didn't excite you, then you're kind of uh, missing the point. We're talking about semen and shallow draft holes. So, you know, it's down for a good time. But to get back on to the more mature note, basically these ships were were just kind of created in the way of kind of being the most agile and kind of quick things on the sea. If you think about it. So they did have a square sail, which isn't the most efficient when you're talking about sea travel, but they also had oars as well. So they can push and kind of augment their speed when it comes to wind speed. But you got to think too, if you think of a normal Viking ship, it's symmetrical. So they can go forwards and backwards when they're traversing icy ocean water. And I couldn't imagine trying to row a bunch of grown men cross these long stretches of land or water for huge stretches of time. And that's kind of when it clicked for me. When they first originally found Iceland, they called Snowland, was the way they found it was they were kind of blown off course. Um, The ship was blown in the wrong direction. They're just rowing and oaring, maybe a little bit tired, don't ever really notice it. And they're kind of blown off course to Iceland, Snowland, which I found super interesting um, as a way to, you know, them notably saying like, I don't think we're going this direction, but it happened to be right. The really, really cool thing about the Vikings is that they had this kind of primitive compass. So they had this like wooden dial that had a nail up like in the middle of it. And they used this sunstone is what they called it. It's a oddly enough, they can't really find much of it when they're excavating these Viking dig spots. But what they would do is basically refract light on that wooden like floating wooden floating dial and then kind of equate where they are at and what direction they are going from there. So they kind of I mean, granted, how they found Snowland or Iceland is a a very, very funny story. But these guys also like kind of were ahead of their time when it came to traveling via sea. And that's how they got to so many places is because normally, if you were thinking of back in the day, you can travel during the day but then would have to like stay close to land at night because you wouldn't be sure where you're going. These guys could travel day, night, whatever. Them traveling so often, they're bound to find more places than just Snowland. And this is where we run into one of the greatest SpongeBob episodes ever, Leif Erikson Day's father. So Leif Erikson, who we all know as the Hinga Dinga Durgan guy, had a father and his name is Eric the Red. And so Eric the Red was just a great guy, uh, also a murderer, by the way. Uh, And so he was kicked out of kind of Viking society, almost the way that the British or the UK used the country Australia for a bit. So they would kick people off and be like, "Okay, you're bad for society. Yeah, go to this other random spot. He was sentenced to live in Greenland. And then his son eventually traveled to North America and what we believe where he like kind of landed was a place that we call Newfoundland. It's crazy to think that Eric the Red is not related to Gandalf the Grey, but you know, it's what it is. Uh, They banished him and then we have Leif Erikson Day in Newfoundland 
And so far, the Vikings have discovered Iceland slash Snowland, you know, where Eric the Red was banished to is essentially Greenland and then North America for Leif Erikson are three major um, evolutions in what the world is or places for the world to populate, essentially. And that is, you know, during that 8th to 11th century where they're doing so, very early on shaping this these um, these countries and these lands and opening up different trade routes to help further the trade from those small kind of areas that they had been or their homelands. Dame Julian, whenever we truly connect, like I feel like right now we're on the same wavelength. I was going to mention that this made them prolific traders in their own right, being so connected to everything else. But I also was going to mention that Christopher Columbus can suck it because the first Europeans to North America were the Vikings. Shout out to Leif Erikson. Uh, listeners, if you want a t-shirt that says Christopher Columbus can suck it, let us know and we'll get one to you. <laughs> exactly. And so with this kind of huge, huge presence in the kind of realm of trading and managing to kind of cultivate these areas or ports, the kind of the Vikings became less of raiders and more of kind of traders. And between that time, they also started extorting people too, just because like, you know, Vikings show up to your door and they're like, yeah, this is going to happen unless you just give it to us and people would just give it to them. But when they started trading, they started cultivating places like Dublin, Ireland, which was just kind of like a, sh a fishing spot beforehand and other places around the world, which kind of helped them be bona fide in the European ranks as far as kind of a powerhouse in themselves. They're going through all this raiding and becoming this powerhouse. But as a group, the Vikings never consolidated and said, hey, we're Vikings. It's just kind of something that essentially over time was given to this, this group of, of men and pillagers. And with that, the other interesting thing too is they're they never had a written law. Um, like if you've heard our podcast on the Bushido Code, very similar. The Vikings community didn't have written law. They just had this thing called the thing. And essentially the thing was when someone would get in trouble, everyone would come to the middle of the town and, you know, they'd seek justice by, you know, firsthand reports and how someone would lay down the law like, yep, kill this dude. Nope, don't kill this dude banish him. He's a murderer. See you later, Eric the Red. And that was just called The Thing. So it's super interesting to see them kind of force themselves onto other people without having a centralized structure for themselves. They were very fragmented as a group of people. So what you have happening is kind of like different alliances and tribal alliances. So for instance, in France, they allied with a certain type of Viking, a certain tribe of Viking that kind of took on Christianity a bit and also vowed to protect the French country of from other Vikings. And thus, they were kind of given their own land and said, like, yeah, you guys are pretty cool, or the French people did at that time. So you see that kind of these people aren't just like one huge conglomerate. They're truly like just different kind of tribes and uh, almost like you can imagine territories that like have no sense of like common direction. They were just trying to do Viking stuff on their own accord. Viking stuff, essentially, besides them having great hygiene and, you know, wanting to ski for fun, they also have the Viking mythology 
which kind of starts in the root. You Cathedral in the Nine Worlds, and that's kind of the center of the Vikings cosmos in which it's connected to the ash tree, Ysidral, which is growing out of the wall of Erd and holds the nine worlds or the home of the gods, man, spiritual and all beings. And that's kind of where you get tied in with Thor. Exactly. And so for all of you guys that are kind of like deep in this realm, it gets way deeper than what we're probably going to be talking about. But those are where you kind of get those players as far as Thor as being kind of the the magic guy with the hammer, which is called the hammer's name is Mjolnir and who protects mankind and kind of has his realm of Midgard. And obviously the predilection for thunder being the god of warriors. I mean, similar to the Marvel movies, he had his brother, Loki, kind of the giant half giant trickster. You had Odin, the dad, the one one eyed seeker of wisdom. The other son, Balder, he's kind of more of the, the pretty boy um, and was killed by Loki. And the wife, Brig, um, practicer of magic. And so you've probably heard those names a few times, but that was something very heavy in that mythology of Vikings, um, which I found super interesting because I didn't know it directly tied in with the Viking heritage, but it was kind of cool to see, you know, a little bit more backstory on those guys. Please, please, please don't let us be your you know, one-stop shop for all Viking mythology. I mean, it gets super, super deep in the fact of like Loki had a few children. One was this giant wolf. Another was a snake. The wolf happened to swallow the sun, I believe. And just kind of things like that. You just kind of, when you step into the Norse mythology, uh, you kind of step into a very colorful world. And talking about colorful worlds, I hope that we painted a perfect one in a very, very Great one for you guys being listeners. Uh, this one was a pleasure to do. Super fun. Julian, what did you think? It's very rare that we get a catch. Jordan makes some very cleverly placed semen jokes. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Learned a little bit more about Leif Erikson Day. And, you know, you kind of can see when you see a Viking movie or, you know, Vikings on TV, you can say, hey, they didn't wear those hats. That's made up. Exactly. And once again, I want to thank you guys for just being awesome listeners, keeping this off the top train rolling. I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Yep. And uh, remember, if you want a t-shirt that says Columbus can suck it, please reach out to us, the off the top podcast at gmail.com or off the top cast on all social platforms. Uh, yeah, Columbus can suck it. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>